the damn podcast. What is happening, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of Do The Damn Podcast. This is episode 15. How's everybody doing? The weather is getting nice here in Michigan. Been playing some golf. I can feel summer around the corner finally. Um, Hope you guys have all been doing well. We've got... uh, We've got some serious shit to talk about today. I know last week I told you I had just gotten back from vacation. Um, kind of a last-minute pod when I got back. And we had the the Chauvin trial going on. We had all that stuff. Um, and wasn't really prepared to talk about some of those things, so I just stayed away from it. Said I'd get back to some of those topics this week. And in the meantime, we've had... More of it seems like you get on Twitter, social media. It's one of the the main things you see every day is the cop shootings, uh, the Black Lives Matter stuff, um, and the latest one is the uh, Makaya Bryant situation. I don't know if it's Makaya, Makia. I apologize if I got it wrong. Um, but, and I know if, if you're interested in this stuff, there's lots of places you can go to get people's takes and opinions and whatever on these things. Um, so I just want to kind of come at it from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, I know a lot of my audience on this podcast is, um, like college age. Um, and so I want to keep that in mind when talking about this stuff. I know everybody doesn't just, you know, I'm not talking to a bunch of 40 year olds that just take in the news all the time. Um, and I know the general narratives around college campuses and, things like that. And I, I want to give people maybe a little bit of a, a different perspective on some of these things and realize it's okay to, to think for yourself a little bit. Um, everybody's making these things so divisive because everybody has an agenda. Each of the, each of these situations is, is complex in and of themselves, but the overall narrative and situation surrounding the national conversation and that theme is actually relatively simple to me. Don't believe the people that rush to judgment on either side of these police shooting issues, whether it's somebody immediately justifying a cop because they've got a badge and they're the good guys, or somebody immediately condemning the cop before any evidence comes out because cops are the bad guys. All right. Don't believe anybody that's rushing to judgment without seeing any of the evidence. Now, that doesn't mean you also can't form an opinion as the evidence begins to come out. Just leave room that you don't know the whole story yet, you know, hours after these things happen. And there's a difference between an early opinion and taking to the streets to protest something or calling for the prosecution of somebody, calling somebody a murderer, right? You can form your opinion and state your opinion based on what you know without maybe going to those extents, knowing that you don't know everything yet. What do I always say with social media and video clips these days, even with the Makai Bryant situation? 
video sure as hell looks like it was a justified shooting. I'm willing to leave open the possibility that her wielding of the knife was somehow self-defense. I'll let the evidence come out. But based on the evidence available to me, the body cam footage, what I've seen, it sure looks like the textbook definition of a good justified shooting by the cop. But then you have, for example, this tweet from 150,000 follower, blue check mark, Brittany Cooper. She says, I am not watching that body cam footage, but we see story after story of the cops managing to take white men who threaten them with guns, knives, even ram their cars into police officers alive. Yet somehow, anytime they engage with black folks, it's shoot first. Hashtag Makai Bryant. So, the very first sentence of the tweet should immediately tell people that you have no interest in the truth and only the narrative. The most important and telling piece of evidence one could possibly have to judge a situation like this, an actual video of the incident, is available. And thank God, I think that's one of the best things to come from this movement against police brutality is the insistence on body cams. They should be everywhere, should be required everywhere. But the most important piece of evidence that we have, the video of the incident is available, but you won't watch it, but you'll form a strong opinion about it. It doesn't make any sense. You can't trust those people. Now, if you don't want to watch it because it's too traumatizing for you, that's fine or you assume it's going to be too traumatizing for you, that's fine. But you can't then go form a strong opinion about the situation that you refuse to watch and understand. Those two don't go together. So don't believe people that are willing to form the strongest opinions possible without assessing the situation. All of these situations are different. Breonna Taylor is different from George Floyd, is different from Micaiah Bryant, is different from Dante Wright. Is different from this most recent one, Andrew Brown. Is different from uh, Tony Timpa and, and, and the white people shot and killed by police that you rarely hear about. Like uh, Peyton Ham recently, a 16-year-old shot and killed by the police in his driveway. You probably didn't hear about that. They're all unique in their own ways. Very unique. And they should be judged separately. You can't just throw a blanket on, on all of them. This is obvious. This should be obvious, right? That they're not all the same. But then you have Matthew Dowd tweets, Over the last 20 years, the average number of police killed in line of duty is 65 per year. The average number of civilian killings by officers is 1,100 per year. So tell me again who is under greater threat living their lives. There are so many things wrong with this take. And it gets disseminated to so many people. You know, I'm a journalist. I'm blue check mark Twitter. I got all these followers. I know what I'm talking about. One being, how many police officers are there total compared to civilians when you're trying to compare these numbers? What is the proportionality? That's the most obvious one. That's lacking here. Two being, police are literally called upon to deal with criminals. This is their job, right? So. The 1,100 isn't unarmed or innocent civilians 
It's just people generally. And then the third thing is using this logic, and I use the term logic very loosely here, over 250,000 people die in the U.S. every year from medical errors, okay? That's the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. Are doctors evil? Should we abolish doctors? No. Because anybody who can think critically understands that most doctors are trying to protect us and save us, but they are human and they make mistakes, right? Now, that doesn't mean that negligent or egregious mistakes that doctors make shouldn't have consequences for them. But we understand what the situation is. And this is very similar to the case with cops. Most of them are trying to keep their community safe, right? From criminals. But they are humans and they make mistakes. And negligent or, like I said, egregious mistakes should have consequences. Also, are there evil cops? Absolutely. We need to find them and get rid of them. There are also evil doctors. There are tons of stories, movies, books about this, and and we need to get rid of them too. We're all humans out here. But but this is called thinking critically and, and, and thinking with nuance. And to be quite honest, it's frustrating to have such elementary takes and narratives that get perpetuated about the cop situation right now because I find myself like defending cops all the time when there's, I know there's tons of asshole cops out there. Trust me. I've had plenty of run-ins myself and there's like, I've had friends, family members with these. I've had them myself. I mean, I've toured the country performing at, at bars and nightclubs. You don't think I've had my fair share of run-ins with the cops? Terrible ones. There's tons of asshole cops out there. They have a certain amount of authority that's ridiculous. I think that power gets to lots of their heads. But I can also, like I said, think critically and understand what their job is and the situations they're called to. So the other thing to be leery of with the opinions you take seriously about these topics is when the goalposts keep shifting and everything leads to the same conclusion no matter what. For example, when we all saw Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck and people wanted justice in the form of a guilty verdict, which makes sense. When those same people after the guilty verdict are saying, no, this isn't justice, this is just the beginning, this isn't the system working, it's just a one-off makeup call or something, things like that. You have to realize that no matter what happened here after the horrible incident, these people, and I'm talking about a specific group of, of, of whether it's politicians and activists, not everybody, but those people doing that are going to use it to spin their agenda. You have to realize that as many positives that come along with activism for a cause, for good, there's big money in activism, especially now with social media. If your livelihood relies on a specific cause, there's no objective or result that's ever going to be acceptable because you can't let your cause go away. It's your job. That's your livelihood. 
So if you achieve your objective and your end result, then your job goes away. Your money goes away. I say this often, and it's something people need to keep in mind in, in so many situations. Humans are flawed. Bad things will happen, okay? There's a certain amount of that that we all just have to accept. But how do we deal with these bad situations? That's the key. And this is why, and people like, like Glow will get frustrated with me sometimes for like, I'm, I'm, I'm a very like statistical, um, logical guy. I try to take emotions out of these things. But this is why statistics are so important. In the age of viral videos and tweets, we've become so anecdotal and emotional as a society. All we know is what we see. All we know is what we have seen. But that relies on you being shown all the important things from the places that you take, you take in this content, which doesn't happen. That's why millions of Americans think cops kill thousands of unarmed black men every year when it's actually like 15. You have the viral tweets of uh, like this one. Here's a white criminal taken into custody alive. Here's a black criminal killed by cops. As if you couldn't easily portray the opposite. These things all happen. It's just what's getting pointed out to you. And this is why we need honest numbers and statistics because we know that bad things happen. But it's also important to know how prevalent they are, how pressing of a matter they are. And then there's this Micaiah Bryant situation. Man, I, I couldn't believe all the asin, asinine opinions from, like I say, the blue check mark journalists and, and the, the race-baiting politicians and based on the fact that we actually had a video of the situation. Like I said, I'm, I'm always open to new information and evidence coming out that might change my mind. But based off what we, what we knew and what we know, these takes were, were so insane and show how far gone we are on the mainstream when it comes to this issue in our society. I'm sure by now you've all seen and heard about the LeBron tweet the year next tweet with a picture of the cop um, that shot Micaiah Bryant. I'll get to that later from a, a, a different perspective, one that's not necessarily following this theme. Um, but, okay, Black Lives Matter. This is their statement right after the uh, Micaiah Bryant shooting. At the exact same time the verdict was being read for murdering George Floyd, police wasted no time in senselessly take, taking another black child senselessly imagine reading that as the girl in the pink about to get stabbed imagine reading that as her or as her parents senselessly and that's what people mean when they talk about when you don't have your facts and you talk about these cases that are complex that's what they mean when they talk about glorifying criminals and, and propping them up with this movement. It doesn't mean that criminals deserve to die. It's when you're completely disregarding the innocent life that was moments away from being taken in favor of the life of the person who's attempting murder. The statement from Black Lives Matter goes on. Micaiah Bryant, we say her name. Micaiah Bryant called the police for help. Columbus police officer Nicholas Reardon showed up and shot this 16-year-old child point-blank within a matter of seconds. Another black life stolen with no regard. Now let's forget about the fact that if you just get your information from this source, 
Think of how misinformed you are. Now, at this point, I still don't think we know for sure who called the cops. I know initially there was a lot going around that Bryant was the one who called the cops. I don't think we know that for sure. Um, we definitely didn't know it for sure at the time of this post because I don't think we even know it for sure now. Whoever called was a, was a female and said something like, she's trying to stab me, which to me, just thinking objectively, could mean two things. It wasn't Micaiah Bryant that called and rather another girl because Bryant was the only one we saw doing any stabbing, right? So you could say it probably wasn't her. Or two, maybe somebody was trying to stab Micaiah Bryant earlier and that's why she was so angry and attempted to stab the other girl. But I can think of these different options because I'm not going into it with an agenda. I don't make money off of one narrative or the other. I'm just interested in the truth and what actually happened. I can wait for the actual facts to come out instead of jumping to false conclusions that stir people up. And then again, at the end of this, another black life stolen with no regard. Just insane that you could watch that video and say that. He saved a black girl's life, an innocent one. Micaiah Bryant apparently had no regard for the other girl's life, but these people don't care about that. And if she'd have stabbed and, and killed her, just like all the other countless senseless killings we have in this country that aren't at the hands of cops, you'd have never heard about it. Nobody would have cared. But you have these narratives of it, you know, CNN called it a schoolyard fight. And people saying, oh, he, he didn't have to shoot her. He could have tackled her. Um, he could have shot in the air. Or one of the greatest race baiters of, of the modern age, Jamel Hill. She said, if you find yourself justifying the killing of children, you are an asshole. Probably worse than that, but let's start there. Okay, first of all, a girl about to stab another girl with a knife isn't a schoolyard fight. Second of all, the knife fight, there's so many of these knife fight comments. Even a knife fight, which should not be a common thing and just an okay thing, but even that implies two people fighting with knives. You know, if you have a sword fight, you don't just give one person a sword and say good luck to the other person. It's not one unarmed person about to get stabbed. Then the shooting in the air when someone is inches away from being stabbed and like I said, Jamel Hill talking about if you're justifying killing children and CNN referring to Micaiah Bryant, what if she, they go, what if it were your neighbor? What if it were your child? What if it were a member of your family in essentially a teenage fight, a schoolyard fight? How can these people not apply the same logic to the girl in pink who was about to be stabbed? What if that were your daughter? I don't understand the disconnect there. And here's the shit that nobody wants to talk about, right? If Micaiah Bryant were my daughter in that situation and she was gunned down by police in that exact situation, I don't know how I, how I would react. I, I, I obviously would be heartbroken. I would be angry. I'd also like to think at some point my, my brain would kick in and not just my heart and I'd understand that my daughter put herself in the situation that led to her death. Would I question if it had to happen? Of course. 
Does it mean it's not tragic? No. But one thing I know for sure is that I'd be much more upset if my daughter were the girl in pink about to be stabbed and killed. There was a cop right there and he didn't do something about it. And instead just hoped that the stab wounds weren't fatal or shot his gun in the air, hoping that the millisecond in between that moment and when my daughter was about to be stabbed would, would stop the situation. And, and my daughter, who wasn't in the middle of attempted murder, was killed. Because, and like I said, it's the thing nobody wants to talk about. All life is valuable. All life. I don't care if you're a shitty person, a great person. All life is valuable. But if you're attempting to kill someone else, you are ignoring the value of life. And it's more important to preserve the innocent life than yours who has deemed it not important. Perfect world, nobody dies. Real world, there are situations where somebody's going to die and you have to choose. You kill the person attempting murder rather than allowing the innocent person to be killed. That's my view. That seems like the logical view to me. I also find it peculiar that the same people who are 100% sure that Derek Chauvin is a murderer and he murdered George Floyd, the knee on his neck killed him, you know, it wasn't the fentanyl or anything else, you saw the, the video clip, that's all you need to know are somehow not sure that Micaiah Bryant was in the middle of an attempted murder. So kneeling on someone's neck, you saw it obvious murder, right? No question. But being a millisecond away from being stabbed with a butcher knife, not attempted murder. You apparently need the cop to wait one more second so that she could get stabbed and die, but then it's too late, and an innocent person is dead. And that's the situation we put cops in. If somebody broke into Jamel's, Jamel Hill's home and pointed a gun at her, cops come in, tell the perp to put the gun down. Perp ignores them. What would, what would Jamel Hill want the cops to do? The world isn't perfect. There are shitty people out there. There are messed up situations. And these are the situations that cops get called into. That's why we need them in the first place. And of course, like it goes without saying, when cops commit crimes, which they do, they need to pay the same price that citizens would pay. Because they signed up for that job. It's not just, oh, cops' jobs are tough. Cut them some slack. No, they, they signed up for the job. It's a tough job, but they signed up for it. So when they, when they mess up, when they commit crimes, they should pay the price. But damn it, in that scenario that I'm talking about, when it's my life, minding my own business in my home, or the life of, of, of somebody who broke into my home with a weapon pointed at me, it's not a difficult decision. And because I'm not a, a selfish, grimy piece of shit, like a, a lot of these grifters on the internet, spinning their narratives, I would apply that thinking, that logic, those standards to any and all of you out there, regardless of your skin color, your religion, your gender, your political party, whatever. If someone's got a weapon pointed at you, 
and a cop can save your life and it's your life or the, or, or the, or the perpetrators, you deserve for your life to be spared. They lose. I'm sorry. I don't get where this all, where this all got so complicated in recent years. Now with the LeBron James shit, I'm not going to give you the, the same thing you've been hearing about how the tweet is dumb, ignorant, whatever. It is extremely ignorant, but you've heard all that already. Here's the problem with like what I always talk about with the, the parties and the tribes and the teams and then the algorithms and media. Okay. Donald Trump says, peacefully and patriotically march to the Capitol and make your voices heard. And the left in general, I'll refer to them as the left, that's inciting violence, okay? Then you got Maxine Waters, who says during the Chauvin trial, we have to stay on the streets, get active, get more confrontational, and let them know we mean business. The left, the same people, say not inciting violence. And then you have LeBron James essentially doxes a cop, says you're next. And, the, and those same people say, no, not inciting violence. And then you have a bunch of people on the right after the LeBron tweet who had been saying, no, Donald Trump wasn't inciting violence. He said peacefully and patriotically. They start playing the game now. Now LeBron is inciting violence, according to them, when he says you're next and post post a, a, a picture of the cop. No. As, like, you can think the tweet is ignorant. You can think it's dumb. I do. And his follow-up to the tweet was dumb. But your next was obviously talking about holding the cop accountable in a court of law, not going out and killing him. Like I said, dumb, ignorant, because... The cop isn't guilty of anything, from what I can see. But inciting violence? No. If somebody sees LeBron's tweet and does something violent to that cop or any cop or a police precinct or, or, or anything as a result, even if they say, even if they leave a manifesto and say, LeBron James inspired me to do this, it's that individual's problem. We can talk about LeBron maybe being irresponsible or... Or, like I said, dumb and ignorant in this situation. Fine. But it's not, that person's actions are not his fault. He's not inciting violence. And again, like I said before, because I'm not a selfish grifter, I, I hold everybody to the same standard. I don't care if it's Maxine Waters, Donald Trump, LeBron James, Nancy Pelosi, whatever. I don't have different standards for people I like, people I dislike, people on one side of the aisle, people on the other. But the media gets everybody all worked up because it's good for business. All day, like with the LeBron tweet, conservatives, you know, LeBron is inciting violence. And there's some people genuinely saying it, and then there's others just playing the game that the left had been playing with Trump, you know. But it's, it all just results in this never-ending outrage news cycle on both sides and it's a game that only ends up putting normal people like us against each other and drives more clicks and traffic to the news outlets and tells them that they should keep doing it because it's good for business 
and social media sites. It's pretty sick. So that's my, that's my take on, on, on the whole situation. I know every day there seems to be a new story with the cops and stuff, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't shine a light on these cases, but take them each separately and judge them. Don't just, a cop killed somebody. More police brutality. No. That's not always the case, and from what I can tell, it's rarely the case. The George Floyd situation, different. And he was held responsible. Like I said, we have shitty people out there. People do messed up things. People make mistakes. The Dante Wright situation. He didn't deserve to die. Could he have done things differently that might have avoided it? Yeah. So? He didn't deserve to die. The cop pulled a, a gun instead of a taser. We should, we should be aware of these mistakes, of these in, instances, and people should be held accountable. And like I said before, that doesn't mean that we go to the extreme of, you know, intended murder and uh, racist because it was a white cop and a black perp. And I say perp because it was in the middle of a crime, but black victim in that case because he was killed. So we have to look at all these situations separately. And don't let these people just whip you up into a frenzy. And when I say these people, I mean the, the Twitter activists and the people that make money on getting us outraged. All right. In Michigan, we have more mask mandates. Two to four-year-olds are wearing masks. I don't want to get into the science and the studies and the COVID data, all that. Like, I'm, I'm over all this at this point. I just want to remind people that we're so sure that the strict lockdowns and the draconian measures being taken in Michigan, where I live, were saving lives. And if you questioned it at any point, you were just a, an asshole. That right now we continue to be the worst run state as it pertains to COVID. Mad cases, mad people dying. Uh, low rates of vaccinations. But we've been one of the strictest uh, states as far as COVID precautions. You got to leave room for people to question things. If you just, if you don't, you're, I don't know. So much goes back to thinking critically and being able to have some freedom to think for yourself and not just take one thing somebody says as gospel. Think, think about what's been going on. Oh, the uh, Texas lifts their mask mandate. All these people, including Fauci, oh, they're going to, you know, we're going to see a huge uptick in cases. This is so irresponsible, blah, blah, blah. Nope. Nope. But then we just move on to the next news story. Nobody gets held responsible for, for whipping up the outrage and spreading misinformation. It's all so dumb. I have a lighter topic, a little PGA topic that I, you know, I kind of wanted to get into. It feels a little, feels a little off topic based on this pod, but you know what? Let's, let's end on a, on a lighter note. Um, so the PGA, they're going to create a, or they, I guess they've already created a $40 million bonus pool for the, the stars of the tour. Um, it's designed to compensate players who are judged to drive fan and sponsor engagement. 
It's known as the Player Impact Program. Um, a PGA Tour spokesperson confirmed to Golf Week that the Player Impact Program began January 1st to recognize and reward players who positively move the needle. At the end of the year, a pool of $40 million will be distributed among 10 players, with the player deemed most valuable receiving $8 million. The 10 beneficiaries will be determined based on their impact score, a number generated from six separate metrics that are designed to quantify that individual's added value. According to a document the PGA Tour dis distributed to players, the, content, the contents of which were shared with Golf Week, the metrics on which players will be ranked against their peers include these. Their popularity in Google search. Hmm. Their Nielsen brand exposure rating, which places a value on the exposure a player delivers to sponsors through the minutes they are featured on broadcasts. Their Q rating, which measures the familiarity and appeal of a player's brand. Their MVP index rating, which calibrates the value of the engagement a player drives across social and digital channels. And lastly, their meltwater mentions, or the frequency with which a player generates coverage across a range of media platforms. The tour will employ an algorithm to turn the values from each metric into impact scores for every player, and a ranking of those scores then determines the bonus amount due. The names of those players most likely to benefit from the new program are unsurprising. The document circulated to players by the tour includes simulated impact scores using 2019 figures to illustrate how the rankings will work. Predictably, the player with the best score, the man judged to have added most value to the tour's product, was Tiger Woods, who won the Masters that year. Woods was followed by... Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, Ricky Fowler. The 2021 ranking of player impact scores, the list that will actually determine bonus payments at this year's end, will likely look very different to that simulated version. Bryson DeChambeau, arguably the most talked about player on tour this year, finished 12th in the 19 simulation, one spot behind Tony Finau. While Woods is recovering from a car crash, Kepka is nursing an injury and both Mickelson and Fowler are slumping. It's assumed all would still earn bonuses since they continue to drive significant engagement with the tour's product. Tiger should be number one on that list no matter what Kepka told Golf Week when asked about the new bonus plan. He's the entire reason we're able to play for so much money, the entire reason the sport is popular as it is, and the reason most of us are playing, not even close. I'll just read a little more so you guys under, understand what's going on here. While the lucrative player impact program will be popular with its beneficiaries, its reception is more mixed among journeymen, who are unlikely to ever reap its riches. There I was thinking they were compensated enough, said one veteran tour winner. We earn our money through our performance. Using metrics will definitely cause complications at some point. What if you're a really awesome player, but don't move the needle in those metrics? Another player with multiple tour wins who asked not to be identified told Golf Week, most players feel it is a shoe-in money grab for only those at the top and it's extremely hard to break into that category if you're not already in it. For example, the same people are always on TV, including the same names always on PGA Tour Live, which the tour chooses who gets on that. Also, the top, top guys are invariably the ones with the most social media followers, and that results in more money from this plan. The overriding thought is why not do something to help all of the players? The FedEx Cup already takes care of the top. A PGA Tour spokesperson said that as part of the program, the tour is providing extra resources to help all players manage their social media branding 
charitable foundations maximize their off-the-course business opportunities. It's believed the formula used to calculate impact scores will distinguish between positive and negative coverage. Um, one metric being used, the MVP index, is generated by a company founded by Jordan Spieth's father, Sean Spieth. All right, I'm torn on this. I do think it makes sense to reward the players who are most responsible for golf's popularity. Um, like Brooks Kepka said, the guys that are the reason why these players are playing for so much money every week in the first place, I get wanting to reward that. Like that article mentions, if you're uh, complaining about, well, what if you just you know, kind of shut up and you're good at golf. Like what one of the journeymen said, you know, that should be what it's about. Well, yeah. And if that's your case, these guys out here promoting and popularizing the game are the ones allowing you to play for goo gobs of money. So I guess without them generating this game's popularity, you have less people paying attention. You have less money in the game. You wouldn't be making nearly the dough for your good golf, for your good finishes. So I hear that argument, but it, do, it doesn't hold a ton of water as a rebuttal. On the other hand, it does seem that the players who fall into the top of these metrics are already going to be the players who are really good golfers, well compensated, highly sponsored, big endorsement deals. These guys are already able to monetize their popularity in numerous ways in addition to simply winning tournaments. For example, Tiger Woods. I agree with Brooks when he says Tiger should be number one on this list every year because he's by far, by orders of magnitude, golf's biggest draw and responsible for an insane amount of its popularity and prize money available. That being said, I'm pretty sure Tiger's been able to cash in on that pretty well already. I can see an argument being made to utilize that extra revenue to not just increase the pockets of that elite group of guys whose pockets are already pretty fat. I do think it's weird one of the metrics was developed by Jordan Spieth's dad. Seems like a conflict of interest there. I also think so much based on popularity, TV time, stuff like that, it's an odd thing to consider given the fact that guys aren't in much control of that. I get to an extent the more popular you are, the more engaging and good you are, the more they'll want to show you on TV and put you in the PGA Live featured groups, but you don't really have control over that. And that being weighted so much seems a bit odd to me. Like I said, I'm a little torn, but it is definitely interesting and something to pay attention to this year to see how it shakes out. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. That's all for today, you guys. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you get the pod in your library right away. Holler at me at Dudadam on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts, and I will talk to you next Tuesday.